Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and a researcher. So uh, I had a lot of fun with our cold open last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a cold open or musical intro. Both, both are good. Both are good. Well, nobody knew it was coming. So in that sense, it was a cold open and it was like Saturday Night Live, (laughs) only we're more Saturday night recorded or actually we're more Friday night recorded and then Saturday morning hastily edited. (laughs) Don't, I don't think they need that much of a peek behind the curtain. (laughs) Or or maybe you do. Let us know on the social medias. With, With ACAST Plus. You can learn just how frantically we attempt to put this together. Um, Yeah, yeah. But we're happy to do it as long as y'all keep listening. So thank you. And you know, Santosh, as as I'm sure our our regular listening audience can tell from the highly professional tone of this week's intro. Yeah. I do believe that it is an alternate week. It is. Uh, For those of you who are not keeping track of the alternate weeks, this is one of the weeks that's not the regular one. It's an alternate weeks when we say it is. (laughs) (laughs) This this is the alternate of a a week week. It's too complicated. (laughs) But alternate weeks. Yeah. But alternate weeks are when we do everybody's favorite segment. Get your journal club. Journal Club! Yay! 
<laughs> All right. And and I wanted to see if I could keep these musical themes going. So in oh, something yeah. that I did not frantically scribble down and we'll record in more detail later this week, I mm-hmm. figured I'd add a short summary of the upcoming Journal Club topics in musical okay. form. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Like a, like a front-end uh, kind of synopsis. Absolutely. Yeah, and if I remember, I'll get around to recording the full version later. But, <laughs> ahem, 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 me, 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 you, 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 and sometimes why. Uh, <laughs> lucky, lucky boy, we gonna restore sight to the blind. And... Learn if your smartwatch will tell you when you'll die, and if your electric and if your blood vessel's gonna get digitized. Mm. Dirty, dirty boy, you know the doctors are talking on the scene. I hear them whispering about the bacteria you carrying and how you don't know how to keep your damn hands clean. <laughs> Patients oh, don't know science getting hot at the body shop. Journal Club is unholy, so sit back while we dropping it. Knowledge popping it as we lay it down slowly. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. we got Dr. Josh and Santoi, oh, we, oh, <laughs> so you can get that. Patients don't know science getting hot. At the Journal Club. So get ready for something unholy with Modern Marvels, a bionic journal club. (laughs) And you had to actually teach me that that was uh, a newer pop song called Unholy, uh, or actually based off of that tune. And I had to go listen to that, watch it for the first time. This is this is an amazing parody of this song. I like it. I think I like this better than the actual song. Now you got to go wash <laughs> your ears out, possibly your eyes. Yeah, <laughs> possibly yes. So uh, let's let's get into it in no particular order. <laughs> let's start <laughs> with. Uh, our first story, a bioengineering breakthrough. Um, we've talked about a lot of these kinds of versions. So this is an implant that claims it can restore sight to the blind. And this is an eye implant made of collagen protein from pig skin, which, wow. like so many things on the pig, resembles something human. So this time resembles <laughs> the human cornea. Yeah, okay. And... Uh, Let's dig into whether this can really restore vision to the blind or just the visually impaired. Right. So we're going to start off with the actual problem because there are so many things that can go wrong with vision. And not all blindness is the same. In this particular instance, we're talking about people who have problems with the very, very front of the eye. So that clear covering on the very front is called the cornea. It's derived from either the Greek or the Roman. I can't remember what meaning hard like corn. So it's the hard layer at the very, very front that the light passes through before it gets to the lens and then finally in the retina and the back of the eye. So this is going to be addressing problems where that cornea either 
gets destroyed, gets cloudy, obscured, something like that, where the rest of the visual portion is intact to some degree so that, you know, as long as light can get through the lens and focus on the retina, you should be able to see something. But that cornea, that, that first window is obscured. Now, there, this is a curable condition, this particular cause of blindness, requiring a corneal transplant, and you can get these corneas from cadavers, uh, but the ratio is there's really only about one cornea available for every 70 patients. So yeah. we really still need a better way to address this, although one in 70 is pretty good odds when it comes to transplants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Compared to kidneys, livers, hearts, um, it's much easier to get a hold of these. Um, Josh, we're talking about a disease not found much here in the Western world, in the United States, where we're recording from. But one of the scariest diseases that can cause this kind of uh, obscuring even from birth is chlamydia trachomatis and not in the person who contracts the sexually transmitted infection but when a child is being born and if a woman has chlamydia um, that infection can get on the eye and wear away and, and destroy the uh, the front of the eye until it becomes cloudy and you can't see now, taking care of this problem as soon as possible for a little kid is super important because the longer that the front of the eye is cloudy and you're not getting visual input, um, the brain itself and the retina is kind of losing uh, training time um, you know, on how to see. So yeah, that trachomatis on chlamydia, that's, that's what it's named after is the trachoma, the, the obscuring of the eye um, that can happen. And this is one of the most common causes of acquired blindness on the planet. So a team of scientists at Linko Care Life Sciences and Linkoping University the uh, <laughs> IKEA of universities has <laughs> developed an eye implant that can restore sight. So they dissolved pig tissue to form a purified collagen solution mm -hmm. and then used that solution to make a gel that mimics the cornea and conducted a pilot trial of 20 people who were either blind or close to losing their sight from a condition known as advanced keratoconus. So we're working with more than just infants here. Yes, yeah. These are. This is a different type of disease that happens later on in adulthood. So they then took this kind of gel. You can think of it as a medical play-doh, uh, and put it <laughs> put it into yeah. the pocket, and then shaped it around the cornea so it could restore the function. Because everyone's eyes are a little bit different. You need to adjust the focusing length because your eye is a lens. So of the twenty in this study, uh, the it was published in the journal Nature Biotechnology. 14 of them, so about 70% who had been completely blind before the implant, were completely cured after the treatment with now 20-20 vision. And wow. le legally blind, not legally blonde, legally <laughs> blind is, I believe, 2,500? Yeah, it's, it's around there. Basically, so the top number... 
um, versus the bottom number, right? So basically we're talking about feet away from a standardized chart. So if you have 20-20 vision, you can see at 20 feet what most people can see at 20 feet. And so if you say like 2,500, that means that you're seeing at 20 feet what most people would be able to make out at 500 feet away. So yeah, somewhere, I think between 2,200 and 2,500 is um, the the threshold for legally blind. Oh yeah, it's 2,200. 2,200. 2,200 is the, is the threshold for legally blind. Right. But yeah, 20, you know, all the way at 20 to up to 20, you know, 150, 200, it's, this is correctable. Like if you wear glasses with these, you're good. So, I mean, correcting to 2020 vision was actually way better than they were expecting and a bit of a surprise. Uh, (laughs) But here's, here's the neat thing about this with a human cornea transplant. Once you get it from a cadaver, it has to be transplanted within two weeks. Otherwise, you know, decomposition. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, a very delicate piece of tissue. But this bioengineered implant because it's a collagen solution that's turned into a shapeable gel can be stored for up to 2 years and you don't need any stitches. You're not sewing it into the eye, you're just kind of molding it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you're you're more like a sculptor rather than a uh, uh, seamstress, seamster. Depending on if you're, you know, male or female persuasion. Now, again, 20 patients pilot study is when we talk about these studies, we will use a word known as power, uh, which is how powerful is a study? How, which is not just the methodology, but, you know, if you're looking at something and it works on 20 people, that's great. But there is something like 5 billion people on the planet. How (laughs) applicable are these results to the rest of? of humanity and that's what you want to know a high power study so 20 people is not a high power but it's a good proof of concept and then it's enough to get you to run larger trials so that's what this team is looking to do next they want to do a trial of 100 patients in europe and the u.s and they want to get the implants approved by the fda so we're again as as with most of the studies we talk about this we are several years out from seeing this in the real world yeah. Again, most of these types of diseases, uh, when we're talking about, uh, you know, care or uh, I, I should say corneal disease, you know, chlamydia trachomatis causing uh, disease in, in very, very small babies, all these kind of things, there is a pretty heavy skew of burden of disease in low to middle income countries, Asia, Africa, the Middle East. So this would really, really be a breakthrough um, for folks who really need it, who wouldn't normally have access to this type of um, technology or ability. So I think it's a wonderful thing for global health, really. So this was done at this this pilot study was done on patients from India and Iran with specifically keratoconus. Right. Uh, and one day we'll get an ophthalmologist, but if you think it's hard to consult them into a hospital, <laughs> wait about trying to consult them into a podcast. <laughs> We're looking at you, Glockham Flecken. Uh, get in here. But in many parts of the world, Keratoconus is a, it's well, in all parts of the world, it's a corneal disease 
caused by thinning of the stroma or the eye support tissue, weakening and scarring, and it's the leading indication, and it affects men and women in all ethnic groups with the highest prevalence in China, about 0.9% of their population, uh, hmm. India, 2.3% of their population, and Iran, where it's 4% of the rural population. Yeah. It's it's one of those heavy burden things where, especially if a person is of what we call productive age, meaning that they're at an age where they can work, contribute to society, etc., um, you introduce disability and, and major disability in this case, um, which can't be accommodated for. And so all of a sudden, a person who really can be, you know, working with their society and everything is taken out of that pool. Um, and a lot of the time needs help and dependency. So correcting something like this helps the individual, but it also helps the general group of people um, get better in general, uh, be more productive, advance um, often in terms of um, uh, economic growth and health and all these other kinds of things. So anytime we can address disability, it's really important. Yeah. So it, and they only needed about eight weeks of immunosuppression to recover from this compared to what can be, you know, lifetimes of immunosuppression following transplants. Oh, sure, sure. But so because this is inert collagen tissue, I'm guessing. So it, it's not very immunogenic. Right. Uh, so it's, it, you know, if you get if you're into technology based or biotechnology based papers, this is a very easy, clear one. They go into all the methods of how they created it. They don't focus as much on the actual implantation they're just like you know we made a thing here's all the ways we made the thing and then we put it in people's eyes and it seemed to work so hey <laughs> yeah it really is a cool engineering paper um including nanotechnology in here so some of the beautiful pictures josh that i saw on the source paper are really the electron microscope you know, looking at the porcine cornea and then their technology, the the BPCDX uh, tissue that they were working on. So it's even if you don't read the whole thing, it's actually beautiful just to take a look at the the um, figures and photographs. And then moving on to our next story. Oh gosh, look at the time. Uh, no, really, <laughs> look at the time. What kind of watch are you wearing? I, I, uh, I, okay. I, I'll, I'll bite an Apple watch. I've got an Apple watch. Yeah. So does your Apple watch track all the things that you're doing? It gives you your heart rate, <laughs> your steps, your text messages, Dick Tracy. Even if, even if I don't want it to, I have some of the health settings turned on. Yeah. So that when I start exercising, you know, it starts tracking my heart rate and the duration of the exercise and stuff. And um, I have turned off a lot of the things that are annoying. Like some of them will actually tell you it. Hey, it's been a few minutes. You should stand up now. Like if you've been sitting for too you long. You lazy bum. <laughs> Um, I do use, um, also for myself and for others, the hand washing, uh, thing on there to make sure I'm, I'm nice and clean in the hospital, but yeah, it, it does, especially when I'm exercising, it tracks my heart rate, um, for a cardiovascular exercise. So one of the things that the Apple watch provides is an EKG. 
right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not part of the cult of Apple, so yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's called a single lead ECG. I have zero idea how it works because Josh, the way you and I were taught when we place the leads across the chest is you need to see the electrical potential across two leads. So I really don't know how this single lead ECG works because there's no other sensors. It's just the watch on your wrist. Um, But yeah, evidently it's starting to get better and better in terms of like the generations of technology. The next study that we're about to talk about was funded by the Mayo Clinic with no technical or financial support from Apple. So in that sense, you know, we can we can trust these results maybe a little bit more than if they were just purely sponsored by a company. Sure. <laughs> and to be very fair, they were probably just looking for some piece of wearable technology that had this kind of easy, accessible type of data gathering. And Apple was the kind of the easiest and most accessible to market here. But a study published in Nature Medicine reports the ability of the smartwatch EKG to accurately detect heart failure in non-clinical environments. So before we get into the study, here's why that's important. Normally, to detect heart failure, that is that is my bread and butter, folks. Like (laughs) I see patients, you you come in with weight gain, difficulty breathing, inability to lay flat, like all these medical buzzwords and symptoms that we look for. And to confirm that, we'll often get an echo, which is an ultrasound of your heart to see its structure, its function. We'll give you medicines to get fluid off of you. But to make that formal diagnosis, you normally need a cardiologist and a hospital, or at least a cardiologist (laughs) and an outpatient clinic. Uh, So the idea that you may be able to accurately detect it with a tiny little device that you wear on your wrist commercially is both highly fascinating and a little disturbing in terms of the data (laughs) being supplied. Well, no, in terms of the data that you were supplying unknowingly to these companies. Yes, absolutely. In terms of being able to replace a uh, large, bulky sonographic machine a technician who actually knows how to put the probes uh, you know over your chest and read it sometimes josh right with sedation right when you have a really obese person or or uh, you know you have to drop that probe into the esophagus to look at the heart from behind right because you can't really see it through all the layers of tissue on the chest and then a specialist cardiologist who has trained on reading those uh, ultrasounds the echocardiograms and then clinical decision making between that type of specialized radiologist the echocardiographer and you and all of the sonographing and everything has to be done in a controlled environment where the person's lying just so and they have landmarks and everything it is beautiful and importantly to... we do yeah. not tend to sell that data <laughs> that's the flip side 
<laughs> to then target you better through TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, but <laughs> or or even scarier, send that data you know to any kind of insurance companies or or where insurance companies could look at it and you know do something scary like deny you health because they say like oh, have yeah, your uh, Apple Watch tell you hey yeah. you haven't gotten up in uh, ten minutes you lazy bum so we're gonna raise <laughs> your insurance premiums because we can now detect that you are this much more likely to have heart failure you know this is this is philip k dick level dystopia but let's get into the actual study so researchers at the mayo clinic applied artificial intelligence to apple watch ekg recordings to identify Mm -hmm. patients with a weak heart pump so participants in the study and i'll talk about that in a moment recorded their smartwatch ekgs remotely whenever they wanted from wherever they were so that's that's about as good randomization as you can get <laughs> they then uploaded these ekgs to their own electronic health records and as well as securely via a smartphone app developed by mayo clinic center for digital health mayo researchers then interpreted the apple watch single lead ekgs by modifying an earlier algorithm that had been developed for the traditional 12-lead EKGs that we use to detect a weak heart pump. All the medical students in the room getting excited, like, oh, I know that. That's meaningless to a lot of you not in statistics. But the area mm-hmm. under the curve uh, was 0.88. So that's that's a pretty good measure of accuracy. That's as good or even slightly better than a treadmill test. Now, accuracy does come along with, you know, all kinds of things, sensitivity and specificity. And that does have to do with the prevalence, like how common this disease is um, out in the ether. And, and um, but that's pretty darn good. I mean, this is a start, right? This isn't the, um, the ultimate, uh, you know, thing, but to gather this much data and calculate this statistical power pretty darn good. It improves early detection, I think. Uh, People who are going to have risks and maybe wearing the smartwatch, but does it improve accessibility? I mean, I guess if you can afford an Apple Watch in countries where there isn't a lot of access or in rural areas, sure, but how many people really have access to these smartwatches and how much do we want to feed into them when, again, at the end of the day, it's a commercial device? I'm not yeah. telling you not to do it. I'm just saying it's something we're thinking about. So let's look <laughs> at the the patients involved. About 2,500 people were involved in this study from across 46 states and 11 countries. Yeah. They downloaded an app created by the Mayo Clinic, which, again, was secure and protects your your health. This was not sponsored by Apple. So in this case, they're not selling the data. Right, right. And that's, they they got around this a bit by creating, just like you said, their own app so that the data was captured not by Apple's software, um, but by something else. So they were able to build in the safeguards that they needed for their patients. And then participants logged over 125,000 previous and new Apple Watch EKGs to their electro- to their electronic health records between August of 2021 and February of 2022 and clinicians who were cardiologists had access to view all this data on an AI dashboard built into the electronic health word including day and time it was recorded 
Then, of these folks, about 420 of them had an echocardiogram. That's the standard test that we use within 30 days of logging an Apple Watch EKG in the app. And that's within one month of when they said, like, hey, we sent an EKG, let's do a quick follow-up. Of those 420, 16 of them had a low ejection fraction that was confirmed by the echo to provide okay. a comparison for accuracy. When we're looking at power and statistical significance, you know, 24,000 people participating, 420, so about one-sixth of them had a follow-up echo, and then 16, so almost one-third of the ones who had a follow-up echo, had a low ejection fraction that was noted, was confirmed. So we're working with some pretty small numbers, but a much larger patient sample. So we can trust the data we're getting a little bit more. I really, really love this because I think what's kind of being proposed in terms of being able to screen outpatient, so kind of capture those patients who are at risk, and then, you know, they let's bring them in and then, you know, confirm um, with a, a more stable. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Standard methodology, putting the, the patients on alert that need to be on alert, this works pretty well uh, as, as kind of an initial step one. So I, I do like that. Yeah. So the way I think I'd prefer to see this used is a patient goes to their primary care doctor's office and they give their history and they find out, you know, they have a certain degree of cardiac risk based on their habits, their family history, things like that. Their primary care doctor tells them, you know, I think you should download this app log your EKGs, send them out, and then you have a little bit more of an early detection system. Is this something that everyone should make a standard part? I mean, they can't because this was just a small study, but is this something that should become a regular part of everybody? Ah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think maybe you could potentially risk stratify, Josh. So as a for instance, um, you know, I, I know in pediatrics, um, when we have kids where, you know, we bring them in and we see that there's clinical risk here for arrhythmia, for instance, um, we will 
go ahead and give them a halter monitor that they can do at home um, and, and kind of uh, carry with them or even a handheld monitor for arrhythmia. And they can even like push a little button when they feel palpitations to see if like it matches up with actual heart palpitations. So it's I love all that- of those. It's linking it to smart devices, commercial smart devices that oh, gives me pause. Got it, got it. Yeah, that does freak me out. Now, I would love it. I don't think this would ever happen. But I would love it if a company such as Apple or something said, hey, we see that this is super, super helpful, but we also know that, you know, we don't want this to be commercially available to this kind of thing. So, you know, we'll license the technology or something to where, you know, it can be made by a, you know, medical device type of company and you get the sensor and the data you need without all of this, you know, connectivity to, to the internet and social media. Um, but I don't know if anybody would ever have the wherewithal to be like, we're cool with that. <laughs> because I mean, basically- someone would, there's people who are going to like post their colonoscopies to TikTok to a soundtrack. I'm just saying <laughs> as, as a physician concerned with HIPAA. Yes. I don't know that I want corporations involved in involved in this but i don't see how they won't be so gotcha you know we'll Fair. we'll see where where things go from here uh moving on to the next story that for some will be very exciting and for others nightmare inducing okay <laughs> absolutely all right a uh, pill as if, as if this didn't invoke enough nightmares of uh you know TikTok tracking your well (laughs) i guess i guess it depends what your nightmares are about mine as i think we've made abundantly clear on this podcast multiple times involve ai (laughs) you know terminator based (laughs) ai and or less medically related but equally terrifying clowns clowns and sea creatures but this next story um i was excited about much less scary to me but for others who have a different phobia a little bit more A pill with a tiny needle in it for painless injections has now passed its first human trial. Who's going to be excited about this? People with diabetes who would like an alternative to injecting themselves daily with insulin, but who still require those injections. Uh, And fear of needles is a huge, huge human fear. About one in 10 people have some kind of fear of needles. So this pill called the Ronnie pill looks just like a larger version of a normal pill. I think the largest one I can think of is maybe the potassium pills or some of the, the ant, uh, like Lasix, I think is a big pill. I don't know. I hear so many patients yeah. tell me the big one, the blue one, the diamond <laughs> one. And I'm like, I actually don't know what a lot of them look like. And we've talked about this in other journal clubs too. Yeah. I think levofloxacin, but I can't quite remember. Oh yeah, fluoroquinolones um, are pretty big too. I yeah, think. they're pretty big also. Um, but uh, yeah, just to let people know, it's not Ronnie like R O N N Y. It's Ronnie actually like Queen in Hindi R A N I, and that's that's the name of the company. So they just named it after themselves, <laughs> Ronnie so, pill. So <laughs> it looks like a larger version of a normal pill. When you swallow, it passes through the stomach untouched, but the outer covering will dissolve 
in the less acidic environment of the intestine. Wow. Smaller worry about perforations, but when that outer covering dissolves, it triggers a tiny balloon to inflate. And then when that balloon inflates, it pushes a small needle into the muscular wall of the intestine that injects the drug the pill is carrying. So a little bit like a, what's the best one? The Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You have like a tiny little submarine hidden under a yeah. protective coating. <laughs> it passes through, and then it gets out, and then it inflates, pokes a little needle in, and and everybody climbs out and explores. Only everybody being the drug that we want in the bloodstream. Incredible journey, or something oh, there you like go. That, that was it. Not not twenty thousand leagues. Yeah, yeah. It was that was the one where the scientists the the they they actually shrunk themselves, got into a submarine, shrunk down the whole thing so that they could swim through the uh you know the the blood vessels and and go inside uh you know a person to destroy a tumor i believe yeah or i guess depending on what generation you are we could also say the magic school bus or oh, yeah. or futurama uh <laughs> futurama did parasites with the, with the parasites worms. lost yeah the, yes. the worm one <laughs> yes yes absolutely um so Let's talk a little bit about the study. This was a trial in Australia. Mm -hmm. 52 people were given Ronnie pills containing octreotide, which is a drug we use to treat uh, certain cancers, growth disorders, excessive bleeding in uh, GI bleeders. And, yeah. and they felt no pain and no discomfort when they swallowed the pill or when it was active uh, because okay. you don't usually have pain sensors in your intestines. You have pressure sensors for distension, but you don't have pain. Uh, and yeah, the pill I, that might freak a lot of people out. So like if there was uh, like a large pin going through your intestine, you wouldn't really feel it. What you feel when you have discomfort is usually like bloating, like the gas, like, you know, blowing up your intestines like a balloon. And this pill was determined to be as effective at delivering the drug as conventional injections. Uh, normally, for people who are not in a hospital setting, like like I said, I used, usually see this in GI bleeders, but for cancer treatments, growth treatments, it's given as a large injection into the butt once a month. And yeah. uh, patients apparently describe this as uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, it's going into like a fatty tissue, right? So, you know, into the subcutaneous. And the same thing is true for, you know, people who have to do subcutaneous injections or intradermal like insulin um, and then, you know, intramuscular injections as well. And that's happening a little bit more commonly, Josh, especially with biologics. Um, so people, for instance, who have, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, there are lots of good um, biologic, so monoclonal antibodies and that kind of thing that you can give, but it's all needles. It's injection somehow. And a lot of drugs, and again, I, I'm bringing up diabetics because that's usually the most commonly known injectable drug. And drugs like that are just not viable in the in the stomach. They're destroyed in the gut if they're swallowed. So that's why you have to inject them directly. But people who hate needles, which remember is about one in 10 of the population, sure. often will delay or skip injections and end up developing complications as a result. So having an oral version of insulin, and I mean insulin, not like not a metformin, not a glipizide, specifically insulin would really improve blood sugar control. But 
the full results of this trial haven't been published yet. So they need extensive trials in people with diabetes. This was done with octreotide, a vastly different drug intended for vastly different purposes. But the delivery method seems to work. And that's the real takeaway that's exciting here. The fact that, you know, you could get that medication in minimal pain, minimal discomfort. It was just like swallowing a pill, but it was given you know, into the bloodstream. That's so awesome. Let's move on to our next study, uh, which is equally futuristic sounding. Researchers in China and Switzerland have developed electronic blood vessels that can be actively tuned to address subtle changes in the body after implantation. Imagine a nest system, but in your blood. Blood pressure too high, let's program it to (laughs) tighten or widen the vessels. Yeah. (laughs) So this is the issue with any kind of grafted or artificial blood vessels, right? The miracle, the, the beauty of native blood vessels is they're not these static tubes that you think of, you know, like internal plumbing, just like a straight copper tube, right? They have multiple layers to them that sense blood flow, pressure, heat, all these kind of a thing. And they can actually, you know, dilate and contract in order to supply blood or, you know, slow down the flow of blood to certain body parts and tissues depending on what's needed um, by our body. And that's these are all hormonal cues and nervous system cues and all these kind of things like this. And it works together in this, you know, constant intricate dance. It's happening to you guys right now uh, as you're listening to this podcast. So replacing this, you know, if you have to put in a blood vessel with a static tube, is just not as useful as, you know, if you have something that's responsive. So let's get into the study. Now, first, let's play one of our favorite games when it comes to research science. Was this done in, of the available research animals, pig, chimp, or rabbit? Everybody locked in your answer? Locked in? Okay, so Santosh, was this animal? Was this uh, research study co- carried out in pigs, chimps, or rabbits? <laughs> Rabbit. Nice. <laughs> Keep yeah. track, folks. Later on this year, we're going to do a journal club dedicated to just that game show yeah (laughs) yeah i i feel like pig chimp or rabbit will be at least five to ten times more popular than wheel of fortune that's a conservative so tell me about these blood vessels um i know that they're made from metal polymer roll-ups yeah (laughs) yeah yeah for anybody who's interested Poly-L-lactide, poly-L-lactide co-eta 
caprolactone. <laughs> I think that's right. It might be epsilon. Um, so essentially, you've got a, a polymer, a plastic type polymer, um, and then that encapsulates liquid metal. Okay. And so now you've got a flexible and actually biodegradable um, electric it's circuit. It's like, it's like a little circuit in the form of a tube. And the cool thing about this, Josh, is it's inert. So it's not going to provoke an immune or inf inflammatory response, or at least it shouldn't. Um, and it does have the potential to be endothelialized. So when you're, you know, you have to put a stent, for instance, into a coronary artery to open it up after a heart attack or maybe before. What happens is there is a process where your own cells grow to cover that stent. So it becomes covered in endothelium. Likewise, this particular tube can undergo endothelialization so that the body just recognizes the inside of it as a part of your blood vessel. Um, and then, yeah, you can hook it up to electrical signals. Um, you can, you know, stimulate it so you can actually improve endothelialization. Um, you can, you know, open up tiny little holes in it called electroporation. So if you want to, you can actually like send in, you know, gene delivery or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, it is a, you know, a fully prosthetic uh, You can blood also vessel. make cell membranes more permeable, so it allows better drug delivery throughout yes. the vessels once you've opened them up. <laughs> yeah. So this is something, you know, you hurt your shoulder bad enough or your hip, you get a, a, a metal hip replacement, right? This is something we haven't been able to do before is have a artificial replacement when you have vascular damage like a blood vessel so this would be so good if it worked they also managed to do it with arteries which are much much harder to repair than veins because they're under much higher pressure and therefore have to be more rigid uh, compared to veins which are a little bit more elastic yeah. so a three-month trial in rabbits showed that the artificial arteries functioned just as well as narrow ones with no inflammatory response and no narrowing or instant restenosis, uh, yeah. meaning it stayed no open. It stayed yeah. <laughs> open once they put it in, um, which is good because they used the the uh, carotids, <laughs> so the vessels that actually feed the brain of these poor little bunnies. So. Um, yeah, keeping blood flow happy to the uh, the brain is a good thing. Yeah, so very, very exciting. Again, you know, we're still only at the rabbit stage. Um, and we'll it's, have it's to still, see. It's still rabbit season. Yes. It's <laughs> we haven't made it to duck season yet. Yeah. <laughs> Nor I think we ever will. I don't know of any uh, studies using ducks as human analogs. <laughs> Be pretty um, foul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Josh, they went all the way through implantation. They used that electroporation, they, that, you know, um, sending an electrical signal to actually make those small holes so that they could deliver drugs through them. And then they explanted these vessels as well at the end so that they could examine them and they had been endothelialized and everything um you know by the the native carotid that was um 
around it. So yeah, it did everything that it was supposed to do during the time that it was implanted. Now to close out our final story and linking a little bit back to our, our musical open, at least in theme, if not, <laughs> yeah. if not content. <laughs> sure. In a surprise study I didn't tell you about in the outline, Santosh, scientists okay. have invented the first, not what you think, vagina yeah. on a chip. <laughs> Go ahead and let that simmer for a moment. Yeah, just... <laughs> there's going to be... There are at least five different visuals that would show up in people's minds when they hear vagina on a chip and their brain it's has a nice to kind fun of prompt it's a fun prompt yes. for those new ai artist programs <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> all the dollies and everything uh you know if you if you just inputted the words vagina on a chip uh, and see what uh, what came out. Please don't. We um, didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> no, not even a little. No, nah, no, nah, no. Nah, but just... but if you did it anyway, and Pringles yes. are involved, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, more than likely it won't work because uh, a lot of the folks who program these things come from uh, Western countries and a lot of places there are quite uptight about human biology, especially when it comes to sexual uh, biology and reproduction. So they might just like censor your result, which is kind of stupid. But, um, but let's yeah. talk about what this actually is now that you've had, <laughs> yeah. now that we've had our fun attempting to picture it um yeah it's a small device that contains live human cells and replicates the cellular environment found inside the vaginal canal there you go so this is one of the latest of lots of different organs on a chip okay so i can't experiment on just cells in a dish because that doesn't show you what's happening like in real life i don't want to explant something. I don't want to do animal research and harm the animals. So what do you do? You form the micro environment of whatever organ you're doing on a little silicone, you know, or, or in this case, a, a plastic uh, chip that can be held in your fingers. And Josh, we have livers on a chip. We've got stomachs on a chip. We've got, I think we've got kidneys on a chip. How is Lay's not involved in this yet? <laughs> Yeah, but it's so cool. Not only do you have the cells that you need, but they're in the proper architecture and orientation. And they have microfluidics in there. So you can run, you know, blood or plasma across it to simulate that it is in like a micro environment as if it was part of the larger organ. So it's a much better simulation than just like a Petri dish full of like vaginal epithelial cells, for instance. So in this latest Lego for scientists, <laughs> by adding bacteria to the device, aptly mm -hmm. named the vagina chip, yep. researchers can study how different microbes affect the health of the vagina. And this was published in the journal Microbiome. Mm -hmm. uh, they can also test how different drugs and probiotics change the composition of the microbiome and how that could make you predisposed or protected to certain kinds of infections. And I think this is even cooler if tech like this keeps advancing where you can very quickly manufacture a given organ on a chip. 
you can actually take, you know, for instance, a scraping of cells. Um, and I don't mean like horrible, bloody scraping, just a nice, you know, brushing of cells from an individual, actually, and, you know, grow them on this chip and then subject it to microbiomes in this case and say, okay, well, in general, we know that these particular bacteria are healthy you know, for what we know about vaginal health and, and human beings at large. But for this person or this individual specifically, you could test it out and say, oh, this is like the optimal combination of, you know, microbiome, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it, this could even become like personal health, which would be super cool. Well, talk about personal. The device measures only one inch long, 2.5 mm -hmm. centimeters and contains okay. donated cells from two women collected yeah. from the lining as well as the connective tissue that runs beneath the lining. And this sits on either side of a permeable membrane, which replicates the 3D structure of the vaginal wall. They then allow these cells to multiply for five days in the device before adding estradiol. And that mm -hmm. changes which genes are switched on and triggered the production of mucus as you would see in an in vivo in a live setting right exactly so now you have a miniature 3d representation of the vaginal environment if you needed to test anything on it bacteria drugs whatever it is you have a much more accurate and real life representation of what would happen to the person as opposed to if these were floating in solution or lying on a single plate and they did. They tested with good and bad bacteria. So first they ran tests with a bacteria commonly found in that environment, the lactobacillus. Mm -hmm. okay. And, you know, once they had achieved and once they did that, they found that the lactobacillus produced lactic acid, making the tissue on the chip acidic, very yep. similar to the real environment, a pH of about four and a half or less, which prevents yep. the growth of harmful bacteria. So they said, OK, we managed to get the acidity down to where we would expect it to be in this microenvironment. They then did a experiment with bad bacteria, in this case, bacterial vaginosis, one of the more mm -hmm. common infections caused by overgrowth. Yeah. And when these were introduced onto the chip, it caused the pH or the acidity of the device to rise along with the number of inflammatory cells that you would expect to see in an infected tissue. Oh, so you're actually watching an active inflammatory response, right? And we think of inflammatory cells, you know, like our white cells that are going around our, you know, blood and all that kind of thing. But in fact, all of us have tissue resident inflammatory cells that can act very, very quickly to fight any type of break, injury, infection right there, you know, kind of as it happens. So they became activated. They got flipped on and they said, hey, we got to we got to fight. We got to protect our home. So there's still a lot of work. You know, there are things that you cannot study in chip form. But yeah, in terms <laughs> of micro environments, this is a really good start. And it's another organ that we can add to our collection. Yeah, that's true. The system has to be validated well uh, to show that, okay, it's, you know, as 
close to real as we can possibly get, um, and that it does uh, faithfully mimic uh, that type of environment. And likewise, this particular one was made from two different donors, so it doesn't represent all different types of women. Um, but you know, if, if this model works out really well, it can be replicated. And just the same way you can run disease models on livers and kidneys and hearts on a chip, um, now we can do it for vaginal health, which is awesome. I want to see the Saturday Night Live advertisement for this product. The- <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. That's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading on some of the studies mentioned here. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. Uh, If you have things you'd like us to cover, by all means, contact us. If you want to enjoy some more full-length versions of these musical parodies or conversations that go nowhere, uh, subscribe to us on ACAST Plus. Like and subscribe. And until uh, (laughs) next time, as always, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, and a shot in your arm. (laughs) Find a country that's open when you've done all those things. And after that, happy travels. Bye, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.